Welcome to Faith Lutheran Church. It is Vision Sunday. And uh, before we get into the vision uh, and mission uh, of our congregation, a uh, little housekeeping on the front end. Just to let you know, uh, to give you a little bit of ease, we are not talking about money today. We're not even talking about giving today. Uh, at the same time, uh, I know many of you received a pledge card in the mail this week, and I just wanted to acknowledge, uh, what do you do with this pledge card since we're not having live worship? Uh, and I'll suggest there's a couple options. Number one is you can fill it out, uh, tear off the perforated part, uh, put the small piece in your pocket or a place where you won't lose it, and then this piece, uh, go ahead, put it in the envelope, uh, put a stamp on it, and uh, go ahead and drop it in the mail. The other thing you can do is uh, fill out the pledge card, uh, scan it, and then email uh, this card um, uh, to giving at myfaithlcmc.org. Giving at myfaithlcmc.org. It's right on the card, the email address. The other thing you can do is uh, send simply just send an email to uh, giving at myfaithlcmc.org and just say, this is my pledge. Uh, for 2021. And uh, you can make your pledge weekly, you can make it uh, uh, monthly, you can make it quarterly, or you can make it yearly. It's up to you. Uh, but this really is helpful for you to fill out so that as a congregation, uh, we can plan for ministry in 2021. If you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to the New Testament book of Acts. Uh, Acts is found uh, immediately following the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And this is a very appropriate place for uh, Acts, uh, the book of Acts to be because the Gospels are the story, uh, the story of God coming to earth in the person of Jesus Christ uh, to share the good news of forgiveness of sin uh, so that we can be in relationship with God. And the story of Acts, or the letter, or the book of Acts, uh, is the story of how God, the Holy Spirit, continues to move among God's people in the life of the church. You know, the official title of the book of Acts, uh, or the letter of Acts, is the Acts of the Apostles. I personally think that's a bit of a misnomer uh, because uh, really the book of Acts is mostly about uh, the life uh, of uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, and then a little bit with Peter. Um, there's some sprinkling of John and, and some of the other disciples, but it's not about all the apostles, all the disciples. It really is primarily about just a few people. And more than anything, it's about the movement of the Holy Spirit in lots and lots of people, moving through lots of people in the life of the church. If I were to name the book, I would call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. I think that's a much better descriptor for what's really going on. In the book of Acts, uh, while it's a historical book, make no mistake about it, it's not dry reading. From the beginning to the end, it reads like an action-packed, fast 
paced movie script like Indiana, one of the Indiana Jones movies or Fast and the Furious. It's, it's one scene after the next and a go, go, go. And as you're reading through the book of Acts, you hear these stories of all sorts of tr tr struggle and hardship and challenges in the life of the church. And you're never really sure how this thing is going to turn out. And so it, it really is a, a great read uh, to learn about the life, the historical life of the early church. Now, some would even argue uh, that the book of Acts is the most important book in the New Testament. I don't know about that, but it is an important book because when you think about it, if we didn't have this historical document, this narrative describing the life of the early church, we would not have a lot of detail and we'd just be guessing, hey, how did the church get going and, and what were the incidents and, and the happenings that went on in the life of the early church? Furthermore, uh, the book of Acts provides context for all the other letters, other, the other books in the New Testament. It helps us to understand why Paul was writing letters uh, to, to Corinth or to Philippi. It helps us to understand what was going on in the life of John and Peter when they were writing their letters and doing what they did. So Acts provides a lot of context um, for all the rest of the New Testament. And so this morning, uh, we are going to look at Acts 1.1, uh, which is the very beginning uh, of the life of the church. Uh, and so as we think about that, I just want to remind you that as, as this begins, there is, at this point in time, there's no church. The, dis the Holy Spirit has not come yet. Uh, the disciples are not these courageous, let's go get them kind of guys. They have no power. They have no plan. They have no authority. They're just gathered together going, all right, God, now what do we do? And that's kind of the opening context for what's going on in the life of the early group of followers of Jesus, these 11 men who followed Jesus around throughout his life. If you're at Acts 1 now, I'm going to go ahead and invite uh, God to dwell among us as we prepare to open his word and hear the story. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the church. Uh, we thank you, God, for how you uh, have given us this story, this reminder, this narrative of the Genesis, the beginnings of your church. And God, as messy as the church is, as broken as the church is, as frustrating as the church can be, you remind us time and time again that the church is still your primary plan for how the good news of Jesus Christ gets shared among the nations. So Lord, uh, dwell among us as we uh, listen to your word this morning. Uh, remind us of your goodness and faithfulness in the midst of all that's going on in the life of the church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A little over two years ago, uh, before I uh, had shared the vision uh, to plant uh, a thousand churches over the course of 40 years um, with the Faith Lutheran Congregation, I was at uh, a pastor's conference, a leadership conference, about 800 leaders gathered together. 
And uh, one evening, uh, we were gathered together in small groups. And at that time, I was with about 15 or 16 other uh, Lutheran pastors in a room. We were all introducing ourselves, going around the room. And, and I shared, hey, I'm a part of this church plant. We've been around for, I don't know, 14, 15 months at the time. And uh, we've got a vision to uh, plant more churches. In fact, we've got a vision to plant a thousand churches over the next 40 years. And I said, are any of the rest of you guys uh, doing any church planting currently? Have you ever silenced a room before? I mean, you could hear a pin drop. But it wasn't just the silence that was just so deafening in the room, but it was the look on these pastors' faces. They kind of got this look of, who are you? What planet did you come from? Are you kidding me? Did you really just ask us if we're planting churches? Man, you're in the wrong place, guy. It was a very awkward moment. And I just kind of moved on because clearly uh, I wasn't getting any love in the room. You know, looking back on that evening, um, it's probably not uh, an unreasonable uh, thought for the, those other leaders in the church to respond the way they did. I recently came across a, a Barna Institute study, and they're an organization that uh, tracks uh, 100,000 plus churches across the United States, and they do all sorts of data collection and research, and they look at trends. And one of the things they recently published uh, is that they are projecting that by the end of the COVID-19 pandemic, that about 20% of all congregations in the United States uh, will uh, cease to exist. Gone. Done. Close their doors. See, for most churches today, and even before COVID, the focus was not on church planting and going out. The focus was on self-preservation, doing all that we could do uh, to attract new people to come in, doing all that we could do to pay the bills, to make sure that things keep running, doing all that we can do to serve in our communities in meaningful ways. But planting churches I think for so many leaders in the life of the church today is like throwing money into the wind. Why in the world would we do that when we're just trying to pay our own bills, do our own ministry, and invite people to come and sit in our pews and be a part of our ministries in the life of the church? You know, the church today in America is facing incredible uh, challenges uh, both culturally with all the opposition against the church and the Christian faith, but also, frankly, just the hardship of the day-to-day -day of the declining numbers of people who are attending and participating in the life of the church. You know, in many ways, that was the context of the beginning of the Acts of the Apostles. Extraordinary cultural forces pushing back against the church. But then also this idea of, 
Um, we don't really know what we're doing and we're just kind of struggling to figure it out. And just one obstacle after another, one challenge after another, one bump in the road after another. And so how do we adjust? How do we remain nimble and flexible to truly do what Jesus has called us to do and share his good news with the world? So we're going to pick up this morning with the... Uh, book of Acts, beginning with chapter 1. And Acts, I, I forgot to mention this, is actually a two-part uh, volume. It was written by Dr. Luke, the same guy uh, that wrote the Gospel according to Luke. Uh, he is the same guy who wrote the Acts of the Apostles, and he meant them to be written as a two-part volume. Acts is the sequel, and there's almost this seamless connection between Luke and Acts, and they're meant to be read, part one and part two. So this morning, we're going to read part two, the beginning of the church. So uh, Luke begins this way. In my former book, of course, which is the Gospel of Luke, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Now, one of the things uh, Luke is doing in his writing here is he's just assuming that those who are reading this are very fresh and familiar with the life and the teachings. It's just like they just had finished reading the entire Gospel of Luke, and then they go to this, and so it's just all fresh in their minds. And he's assuming that that is all fresh in our minds. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit, I underline the Holy Spirit. I'd invite you to underline the Holy Spirit as well because the Holy Spirit has not yet come. Uh, the Holy, through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Now it's interesting uh, that Luke uses the word apostles. Um, throughout Jesus' ministry, uh, you know them as the disciples. And of course, a disciple uh, is someone who follows, someone who learns, uh, someone who uh, walks in the path of someone else. That's what a disciple is. An apostle is, is uh, like a disciple, but the idea is rather than following, apostles are people who lead. They're out front. Apostle comes from the Greek word apostello, apostello, if I could say it. Apostello, which means sent, uh, one who goes out. It's, there's this action, this movement to it. And so a disciple is one who is learning, an apostle uh, is one who is sent. Uh, but it, he's really just talking about those 11 guys, uh, minus Judas, of course, um, who were uh, gathered together and they were chosen. Verse 3. After Jesus' suffering, he presented himself to them. So uh, uh, Luke is just kind of doing a little reiteration here. After Jesus' suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Jesus appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Again, I would underline that. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, 
Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Jesus has now used the word Holy Spirit three times. And I think this is significant because what Jesus is trying to do is really help them to prepare their hearts and minds. He's kind of setting the table for them. But it's, it's hard for the disciples to really get their head about all that uh, Jesus is talking about. Because in Old Testament times, whenever the Holy Spirit came in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came to kings, the Holy Spirit came to prophets, the Holy Spirit came to really important people. Every now and then, God would send the Holy Spirit to an ordinary person uh, in the Old Testament, but it was always uh, to do something really extraordinary, something just incredible. God did not have a practice in the Old Testament of sending the Holy Spirit on 11 ordinary guys. This just did not happen. So when Jesus says, I'm sent, God is going to send the Holy Spirit to be upon you, they're thinking, what is he talking about? How can we wrap our minds around this? And they're just so anxious. They're just so eager because they're now sitting, standing, eating, living with the risen Christ, not just for a day or a week, but, but Scripture tells us for 40 days they're hanging out with Jesus. And their hearts are so full. They're just bursting. And they're like, Jesus, is it time? Is it, are we ready? Can we go? Can we go? Can we go? And Jesus says, guys, relax. God's going to do what God's going to do. There's nothing you can do to get God's movement going. And there's nothing you can do to stop the movement of God. It's just this, guys, I got it. Don't worry about it. I'm in control. God is going to send the Holy Spirit. And it's not just God sending the Holy Spirit but Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And the Greek word for power is dunamos. And of course, it's where we get the word dynamite. And I love the imagery of dynamite when we think of the Holy Spirit and the power of God coming. God isn't going to just send some, some firecrackers. God's not going to just send a little bit of power. It's like Jesus looks at the disciples, now called the apostles, and says, Hey guys, get ready. I'm going to get the C4 explosives. We've got something really cool that it's about ready to happen. Hang on. And this just this dunamis, this explosion of God's power is about ready to come. It's a powerful moment. And I think it's a great reminder for us in the church today and in 2020 and as we're looking to 2021 that we can do no extraordinary thing on our own, but that we need to invite the power, the dunamis of the Holy Spirit to come and move through us. Because that's when things really happen, is when God shows up. 
And Jesus continues, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. At this point in time, it's like Jesus is saying, you will be my witnesses in the city, in the suburbs, in the small outlying towns, and even to the hinterlands as far as you can see. There, that's where this, this message is going. You will be my witnesses. Now again, I'm spending a lot of time in the Greek today, but I think the Greek uh, sometimes really helps us to understand what Jesus is more specifically talking about. First century uh, Greek writers and readers, they would hear this word witness, and the, and the Greek word is martis. And martis is, is a legal term, and it meant uh, someone would go into a courtroom and uh, they would give testimony in a court of law. That was a witness, and I think we can agree, yep, that sounds like our definition of a witness as well. But the interesting thing about the Greek word martis, it's where we also get our English word martyr. And martyr, make no mistake about it, a martyr is a witness. A martyr is someone who bears testimony to things that they've seen, things that they've experienced. But the difference between just a witness and a martyr is a witness might kind of flail a little bit in their testimony. A witness might be a little bit wishy-washy in their testimony. A witness might be like, eh, I think this is what happened. But a martyr is going to be very different. They are going to bear witness, they are going to bear testimony, and they're going to say, this is what I saw. This is what happened. A, a martyr, a witness, uh, has this incredible sense of conviction. It's like they put a stake in the ground and said, this is what happened, and I'm not changing my story. I'm not going to be wishy-washy. It reminds me of the time when Martin Luther was standing before a court of law and he was asked to do something that he just couldn't do. And he looked at that counsel who was looking down on him and they wanted him to change his story. And he said, here I stand. I shall not recant, so help me God. I'm not changing. A martyr is so strong in their witness and their testimony that they are willing to face the consequences, the consequences of suffering, the consequences of even torture, the consequences of death. That's what a martyr does. So when we think about a martyr today, we're like, oh yeah, that's that person that believes so strongly um, that they were willing to go uh, to their death. And, and that, of course, is what uh, Jesus is talking about. He is not just calling the disciples, the apostles, to be witnesses. Ah, yep, that's, that's Jesus. He is calling them to be martyrs. So strong in their faith that they are willing to go out of their way They're be, they're, uh, to help others. They're willing uh, to, to not change their story. They're willing to put up with incredible sacrifice so that the good news of Jesus Christ can be proclaimed to the world. You know, as we think about our congregation, uh, Faith Lutheran Church, our tagline is a first century church. 
for the 21st century. And we chose that tagline because we love this idea and this definition of what it means to be a disciple. We put a stake in the ground early on and we said we are not uh, going to look like all the other churches out there. We're not going to judge all the other churches out there, but for us, we are going to stand firmly on the convictions, on the teachings of Jesus Christ, and we are going to do our very best to be obedient to what God has called us to uh, through God's Word. See, oftentimes, I think many Christians in America... They feel like, well, God just, he died on a cross for me. He rescued me from my sin. He saved me from death and destruction. So I think my response as a Christian is to uh, go to church, show up to worship once or twice a month, sing a few songs, listen to some podcasts, and call it a day. And statistically live like every other person in America who denies the Lordship of Jesus Christ. See, we don't hold to that definition of discipleship. We believe in our deepest of heart that God has called us to be witnesses, to be martyrs, to live sacrificially so that the power of God can move in our lives and in the life of our church. And so when we look at our mission statement, which is growing disciples who grow disciples, the first part is growing disciples. That's you and me. We're not just disciples. We're not just followers of Jesus, but we are active in our spiritual growth. We are active in how we are learning and growing and walking with Jesus. We, you, me, we are growing disciples. And the second part of our mission statement is who grow disciples. See, for us, we're not satisfied just to be all about me and Jesus and me learning about Jesus and me growing with Jesus. But we have made a conscious decision that we are going to be about investing in others in our community. And we're going to sacrifice and we are going to do whatever it takes to grow other disciples of Jesus Christ. So we're going to be growing disciples of Jesus and we are going to grow other disciples of Jesus Christ. And this leads us uh, to our vision statement, uh, to plant churches. And as I shared with you at the beginning, uh, or uh, some time ago, we came up with this vision statement that God said, a thousand churches in 40 years. And you might be thinking to yourself, especially if you're new, great aspiration, how are you going to do that? To which I would simply say, the same way the early church did it. Dunamas. Through the power of God's Holy Spirit. Just praying and saying, God, we don't know how to do this. We don't have a plan. We don't have a program. We don't even have a strategy. We're going to just pray and invite you to speak to us, to help us to know how your Holy Spirit might work through us. About 18 months ago, uh, there were a group of us praying um, and really asking God to, to release his dunamis, his power on us, because uh, we, we barely knew how to get Faith Lutheran Church going. We certainly didn't know how to plant other churches. And then one day I got a phone call from a guy by the name of Jack. Jack says, hey, Brian, there are a group of us Jesus followers in Atlanta, Georgia, 
but we are spiritual nomads. We don't have a church. And I said, Jack, there have got to be other churches in Atlanta, Georgia. It's a pretty big city. He said, you know, we just, we can't find a church. We are just, we're nomads. I said, Jack, I wonder if God, the Holy Spirit, is calling you and your group of people to start a church. And he said, well, we've never done that before. We don't know how to do that. I said, Jack, I don't know either. But I believe in a God who is filled with power and the Holy Spirit who will guide you. And that began the journey of more and more conversations with Jack and this launch team. And a little over a year ago, Tim Moore and I, our congregation president and myself, uh, we went to Atlanta, Georgia, and I got to preach at the very first worship service of St. Martin Lutheran Church in Atlanta, Georgia. And we spent some time with them, just, just encouraging them and praying with them and just saying, you guys can do this. And just inviting God's power uh, to move in their lives. About a year ago, um, I was talking with a young couple uh, who has a, a relationship in the life of our church. And uh, uh, they uh, were living in Decatur. They're still living in Decatur, Illinois. And, but they were worshiping uh, in Springfield, uh, Illinois. They said, you know, we really love our church, but we felt like we needed some more uh, Christian community in Decatur, and so they just started inviting people to their house for a Bible study. And the crazy thing is, more and more people just started showing up for this Bible study. And pretty soon they got a house full of people. And so I, I'm on the phone with a conversation uh, with Kendall and Emily. And they're just like, what do we do? We got all these people coming for a Bible study. And I'm like, I wonder if God is calling you to, to plant a church in Decatur, Illinois. And they said, we don't know how to do that. And I said, you just pray. You just pray for the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will guide you. You know, last Sunday, uh, Liam was down at uh, Decatur worshiping. Liam and Jenny were there. They brought uh, a box of Bibles. They brought a box of hymnals. But more importantly, Liam and Jenny showed up with presence and prayer. And they just, they looked at the leaders in that small congregation in Decatur that's still kind of coming together. And they just prayed for them. They prayed for the unleashing of the Holy Spirit, the dunamis, on the life of this church. About eight months ago, uh, Liam came to us as a, as a leadership team. And he said, you know, I wonder, I wonder if God is calling me to plant a network of churches, house churches, in the Bloomington Normal community. And so over the past eight months, we as a congregation have been walking alongside Liam putting together this vision for what it might look like uh, to plant a group of house churches uh, in the Bloomington Normal community. Now, I got to tell you, when God gave us this vision a couple years ago to plant a thousand churches in 40 years, my head was like, how in the world are we going to do that? And here we are, three and a half years into the life of our congregation, and Faith Lutheran Church has been instrumental in three church plants. Now, they got a long way to go, don't get me wrong. But we've been there on the front row, encouraging them, walking alongside them, praying for the Holy Spirit, the dunamos, to just work through them. I think that's pretty remarkable. 
Now, for those of you who are math people, you're thinking, Brian, that's great. Three churches, uh, three church plants in three years. But you said a thousand churches in 40 years. The math doesn't add up. If we just keep doing one church a year, it's going to take us a thousand years to get to a thousand churches. To which I would say, you're right. It would take a thousand years to get to a thousand churches. If we were doing church planting by addition. But we're not. And I got a little chart here that I want to explain to you. We are doing church planting by multiplication. And as you look at this chart, what you can see uh, over on this side is Faith Lutheran Church. It says our generation. This is who we are. And then below it is the second generation, the third generation, and the fourth generation over here. And let's just say each generation is 10 years, just for fun. And so if we uh, plant 10 churches over the next 10 years, and we look at each one of these churches that we plant over the next 10 years and say, folks, what if God called you to plant 10 churches over the next 10 years? Then the generations would move on to a hundred church plants. And if each one of these hundred uh, church plants planted ten more churches, then we're getting to a thousand churches. So by the fourth generation, let's say 40 years, that could be our impact. And the impact is not through addition, but it's through multiplication. But here's the thing. This, this, this strategy, if you will, this idea of church multiplication, it wasn't Brian's idea. It's not even like church planner idea, folks. Uh, this is the idea of how the church grew in the Acts of the Apostles. It was one church planting many churches, and those many churches would plant many more churches. This has been the story of the church since the church began in Acts 1 and 2. It's always been about multiplication. All we're doing is following Scripture and the methodology in inviting the Holy Spirit to move in our lives. So easy. Easy, right? A thousand churches in 40 years. Verse 9, after he said this, Jesus was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back the same way you have seen him go into heaven. I love how this part of the book of Acts ends. The disciples are watching Jesus float up into the sky. Oh, this is called the ascension. And it just simply means that Jesus is ascending. And, and their eyes are big and their mouths are open. And they're just like, oh my goodness, what in the world is going on? And the, the angels look down on them. They're like, guys... What are you doing? Get your hands out of your pockets. Get ready. 
Because just as Jesus is going up now, Jesus will return to earth. Get ready. See, this whole idea of the second coming of Jesus is not theoretical. It's not, gee, I wonder if that will happen. Acts 1 tells us that the, 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 the angels looked at the disciples, now called the apostles, and said, the second coming will happen. Jesus is coming again. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready to meet Jesus face to face. And so I think about how, how can we get ready? How can we be ready to meet Jesus face to face? as we are growing disciples who are growing disciples and planting churches who are growing disciples who are planting more churches. What can we be doing in the here and now? I think one of the most important things we can be doing in the here and now is we're, as we're inviting and allowing the Holy Spirit, the dunamis, to come and live among us is to be reading God's Word. Just reading and studying God's word and inviting God to challenge us to be obedient to his word. Now I have to say, uh, reading scripture can be an intimidating thing. Uh, it's intimidating even for me as a pastor, and I've been around scripture uh, for a long time and studied scripture for a long time. Last summer when I was having a faith share uh, with one of our confirmation students, uh, after we were all finished, I, I looked at her and I said, hey, do you have any questions for me uh, about the Bible or faith or anything? And she said, yeah, I do have a question. Have you ever actually read the entire Bible? And I thought to myself, this is why I love hanging out with junior high students. They ask such good questions. They ask questions that many adults will not ask the questions because they're either embarrassed or ashamed. But I think this junior high student asked the question that so many of us ask, and the question is simply, is, how do you do that? Can, is it really possible to read through the entire Bible? And I don't know about you adults, students, I wonder if it's intimidating for you to think about reading through the entire Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament. I mean, how do you get through all that? I've probably read through the Bible somewhere, cover to cover, somewhere between 20 and 25 times. And I got to tell you, it's still intimidating for me as well. But one of the things I've learned about reading through Scripture cover to cover is one of the best ways to do it is just a little bit at a time. Just a little bit every single day. And today I've got some really good news for you uh, because uh, I, I think you in 2021 could actually read through the Bible cover to cover, Genesis through Revelation. And I actually calculated it for you. I did the math for you because you might be thinking, that's going to take me forever. I could never do that. But what I've learned is if you divide out all the readings from the Bible by 365 days, it doesn't take you an hour of daily reading. 
It doesn't take you 45 minutes of daily reading. It doesn't take you 30 minutes of daily reading. It doesn't even take you 20 minutes of daily reading. For the average reader, if you were to read through the Bible cover to cover in one year, it would take you 15 minutes a day. And I think most of us can kind of get our heads around 15 minutes a day. Let me give you a little bit of context. A day has 1,440 minutes of it. Every single day, 1,440 minutes. And so my challenge for you is would you be willing to take 1,440 minutes every day uh, in 2021 and carve out a thin slice 15 minutes and made a commitment to read through the Bible uh, uh, line by line, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And by December 31st, 2021, you will have read the entire Bible. How cool would that be? You know, I've got really good news for you. Um, we have already purchased uh, Bibles for all of you. It's the one-year uh, New Living Translation Bible. And our junior high students uh, have even wrapped up all these Bibles, and they've even put your name and a bow on these Bibles. There is a Bible, a read-through-the-Bible reading plan in one year, cover to cover, with your name on it. And shortly after Thanksgiving and throughout the month of December, uh, we're going to give you uh, a Bible as an early Christmas present. And throughout December, I just want to invite you to pray about the challenge of reading through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, to commit to 15 minutes a day and see what God does. See, I think if our entire congregation just read through the scripture um, in 2021, a movement of God's power, a movement of God's Holy Spirit, a movement of God's dunamos, God's dynamite will just come into our lives and do things that we have never seen before. And when we do that, we will be witnesses, we will be martyrs to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you are a God who loves your church, who has not just left us to flail about God, but you have given us power. You have given us your word uh, to lead us and to guide us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, and God, to challenge us. And God, so often in our lives, we have become complacent. So often, we're not disciples, we're just Christians in name only. And so, Lord, we pray that as we look toward 2021, you would empower us to live through your Holy Spirit, to be open to all that you want us to do as individuals and as a congregation, as a community of faith, and that, God, we would indeed be witnesses, martyrs to the ends of the earth until every knee bows and every tongue, uh, every tongue proclaims that you are Lord and Savior of all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.